Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Career Design Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Turlock, and I am super excited to be here today with Smiley Kozwalski, who is an amazing entrepreneur, author, and speaker. Smiley, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Jennifer. It's great to be here. Oh, yeah. Thanks so much for joining. And we met back at a really cool camp called Camp Grounded in Silicon Valley. That was super amazing. So, yeah, Camp Grounded, tech-free summer camp for adults, digital detox, really amazing experience. Um, added a lot of value to my life and, and, and inspired my work. I'll, I'll talk about a little bit about that later. Amazing. Yeah, I, re- I can remember it quite vividly, actually, that I think we met around the typewriter range. So they'd taken like an old shooting or archery range right? and Camp Grounded had turned it into a typewriter range and you were leading a writing workshop there on the typewriters, right? That's right. It was a shooting range (laughs) (laughs) and we turned it into a typewriter range. I think you'd actually still had the bullseyes up, you know, like the Mm -hmm. target for target practice and um, camp um, had all these typewriters and that would have been at Camp Navarro up in Mendocino. Uh, in Navarro, California, and uh, we le- I was leading creative writing on typewriters, which is so funny because part half the half of the struggle was just getting the typewriters to work, <laughs> which was like a really good, I believe, a good metaphor for writing. Right? People be like, "I can't press delete," and you're like, "Well, <laughs> keep going." And they're like, "I can't, I can't backspace, I can't delete, I can't go back," because we're so used to you know Google Docs or Microsoft Word or editing what we say on a typewriter, it's really hard to do that. Yeah, totally. That is a good metaphor. And same with the the targets there, shooting our words for targets, like shooting for right. word targets. Well yeah. I remember that was a really, really inspiring moment for me. So why don't we start off, tell us, what did you start your career doing? What was the beginning of your career like? So I've had a little bit of a windy uh, career path uh, which I think is is okay, <laughs> you know, for folks uh, um, that are kind of in the middle of a career change or trying to figure out what to do with their life, as as your book is all about. But I, you know, so I went to Wesleyan University, which is a liberal arts school uh, in Middletown, Connecticut. I was a film major, film studies major. So I'd moved to New York, really wanting to work in the film industry. I did that for a couple of years. I kind of bounced around, did a lot of freelance gigs, worked as a camera assistant, a production assistant, a location scout, realized that the the world of film was a lot different than what I thought it was going to (laughs) be. I thought it was going to be, you know, me sitting in the director's chair telling people, you know, what to do, (laughs) having all the power and the creative control. And it was really me running around New York City, um, finding locations for movies to shoot in, sitting on the back of a truck, freezing my butt off for 12 hours in the middle of the night in uh, in the New York City winter uh, on set for 14 or 16 or 18 hours a day. So it was a little different and it was a nice wake up call. Um, And I kind of just didn't really see a path forward in that industry, in that business. And I uh, worked on the Obama campaign in 2008, uh, helping Obama get elected as a field organizer in Indiana, kind of going door to door, a lot of canvassing, and that made me want to work in government. So I was working at the U.S. Peace Corps in Washington, D.C. Um, and I did that for two and a half years. And it was a really great opportunity. I, I, I learned a lot. Peace Corps is a tremendous organization. was surrounded by some really great colleagues. But it really wasn't the right space for me. It wasn't the right fit. It had all these things on paper that, that lined up, right? Good salary, good benefits, job security, 
uh, an impressive organization, you know, you can work in the government and kind of work your way up and just basically always have a steady job for 20, 30 years, have a pension, all these things. But I wasn't happy. It wasn't the right fit for me. And in, in fact, I was, I was really kind of having, uh, you know, what I call quarter life crisis um, of, of being like, well, I'm almost 30. So that was, I was 28, 29 at the time, 2012 being like, well, everything on paper looks good. Everyone in, in my life is impressed with this job, but I'm really unhappy and I'm miserable. And it's, it's not like I'm working at an evil organization either, right? Or it's not like I you know, don't have a good job. I have a good job. People would love my job, but I don't like it. And what do you do in that situation? Do you feel guilty about you know, having this opportunity, but knowing deep down that it's not filling you up inside? And I was having trouble sleeping at night. I even got shingles on my side, Uh shingles is gross. It's a nerve disease often related to stress. That's really common among older people, not 20 somethings, (laughs) right? So that was a little bit of a wake up call. And that was the springboard for really um, starting a new life and building a new career. I had gone to this program called Starting Block, the Starting Block Institute for Social Innovation. It's a leadership program for people interested in social entrepreneurship, social innovation, social change, using business for good and filled with a lot of kind of young people, 20, 30 somethings. And I went to this program, it was in LA for five days and it was being surrounded by all these amazing entrepreneurs and people that had started businesses and 22 year olds that were going after their dreams and starting things and were working for social impact organizations. And that was the environment where I was like, what am I doing? You know, it's okay if to make a change at the age of 30, it's okay to make the change at the age of 40 or 50 or 60, who cares? The point is to get, much more closer to your purpose and the impact you want to have. And that people make career changes all of the time, you know, millennials now because of the world we live in and changes in technology, the job market are going to have 20 different jobs in their lifetime on average, 15 to 20 different jobs. So, okay, you know, let's get going here, you know? Uh, and, and I got the kind of courage to make the leap and decided I was going to move to San Francisco. I'd always wanted to live in the Bay area. I had some friends that lived out here. I I always had this really romantic association with the Bay area as a place for artists and creatives and entrepreneurs and uh, a different kind of spirit than the East coast. I grew up on the East coast and spent most of my life there. And so I moved to San Francisco with the intention of writing. I I knew I wanted, I, I was always loved writing. I was good at writing. I had done some writing in my work, but never kind of my own writing and publishing my own work. So I started a blog. I I left my job. I moved 3000 miles across the country and I started to build this whole new life as an author and it's made all the difference. I mean, it's not easy. It's not like I immediately, you know, got a book deal or started speaking or started building a business, but that was the initial step. You have to take that first step and get going. And I had a WordPress blog um, you know, which costs $18 for a year to have a WordPress blog, which I think it still might cost that, which is amazing that it's that affordable. And I started putting my work out there and, and people were really identifying with my journey and my, my speaking about, you know, quarter life crisis and finding meaningful work and millennials search for meaning. And that led to a lot of different things that now is leading to, you know, is, is where I am today, but that was kind of the genesis of, of my new life, my new career as an entrepreneur. So that's been, which has been the last, you know, eight years or nine years or so. Amazing. Okay. So you move to the Bay area with the intention wanting to be a writer. 
And what happens next? How did you go from there to where you are today? Like what happened along the way? Yeah. So I think it's easy, you know, in these kind of career stories, people kind of usually say like, boom, and then I became famous or like, and then I got a million dollar, you know, series A or, you know, then I was featured in Fast Company or whatever. It's not really like that. I mean, the truth is I, you know, had had moved to to uh, San Francisco. I had saved up some money. Um, I knew I wanted to write. I started doing a lot of writing on my blog. I um, joined a, uh, started working for a leadership development program called the Bold Academy, which is kind of a, called itself a life accelerator program, kind of a life coaching program where people would live in a house together for a period of weeks at a time. Uh, and there'd be coaches and mentors and um, different people that would come inspire them and just try to build a community around people achieving their life purpose. Uh, and, you know, it was in that space where people were like, you know, Smiley, your writing's great. You know, you're always posting these really engaging things on Facebook. Your blog is great. Maybe you should write a book. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, whatever. Sure. I'll write a book. And they're like, no, you really should. And then I said, okay, I'm going to write a book. And, you know, immediately when you're like, I'm going to write a book, you're like, okay, I'm going to Penguin Random House, Simon and Schuster, New York Times bestseller. Like, um, that you know, you, that's what you think is going to happen. And actually, what happens is, um, you end up self-publishing, <laughs> most likely, which is what I did. So I actually had a meeting with an editor that that worked at Chronicle Books, which was uh, it's an indie publisher in San Francisco, great publisher. And I, a friend of mine was an executive assistant there and she got me this meeting and I thought it was my big break. And the editor there was like, Hey, you're a good writer. You've got some good ideas, but you're not ready to get a book deal yet. You should self-publish. You should do a crowdfunding campaign and self-publish your book and get it out there and see how people re- you know, resonate with it. So it was kind of like, I thought I was a failure, but the truth is she was actually completely correct. That was the exact advice. <laughs> that I needed to hear. So I went out and I did that. I did, I um, launched an Indiegogo campaign. Indiegogo is like Kickstarter uh, crowdfunding campaign, which ended up raising over $12,000 for uh, my book, The Quarter Life Breakthrough from 500 people in um, I think 20 or 30 different countries. Um, So that was kind of my first, you know, entrepreneurial adventure. I was building a community. I was raising money. And I self-published this book and it ended up selling thousands of copies on Amazon, nearly 10,000 copies, which is really a lot for a self-published book. Um, And, you know, people were really, you know, came out in 2014. And then I went back to that editor and said, hey, check it out. Look what I did. You want to publish it? And she was like, this is amazing. No, we still don't want to publish it. I was like, oh, man. But she connected me to a agent that she had worked with and that agent ended up getting me a book deal um, to republish the quarter life breakthrough, to rewrite half of the book and and republish it with, with um, an imprint of Penguin Random House. So it was this kind of rocky little road there. And then, you know, along with writing, um, you know, I, I encourage everyone as you, you know, you, you, you are joined the author support group. I'm a big champion of authors. I think everyone in the world should write a book, especially people that are creative and have um, a product or um, are offering something to the world that's trying to make the world a better place. Everyone should write a book and <laughs> likely that that effort will not be a, a main source of revenue or income for most people. Unfortunately, it is just kind of the lay of the land and the way that 
writing works. Um, that sucks. And there are many authors, of course, that, that do make a living just writing or writing books. That's great. Most people don't. And so I kind of realized the hard way is you can still have a successful book. It's very hard to make a lot of money on it just from the way that the costs work. But I started to realize that actually there was a lot of interest in speaking. I didn't really know that speaking was a profession. I mean, I kind of had seen, you know, Oprah and Tony Robbins and these kind of famous people that are motivational speakers, right? But you don't see until you're in that world, you don't know it's really a thing. I certainly didn't know when I moved to San Francisco that I wanted to be a motivational speaker. Uh, and certainly not when I was in high school or college, <laughs> that wasn't on my mind at all. But I started to realize that people wanted to hear my story and that there was a lot of interest in speaking, um, not just about career change, but about generations in the workplace and what millennials were looking for. And now we have, of course, Gen Z and what young people are looking for at work and that companies were interested in how do we attract young talent, retain young talent, engage young talent and create a, a work, a workplace, an environment where, and a culture where folks can do their best work and they really want to work for different companies and work together. And uh, how do we make that happen? So that actually became the business. Um, I'm, you know, I, I still write about career stuff, but the, the, the context change into public speaking. Again, you can't know these things until you do them, right? I didn't know that I wanted to be a author right away. I didn't know I wanted to be a quote unquote millennial workplace expert. I didn't even know what that was, right? I maybe still don't know what that is. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, but you know, you fall into these things and you see where the, you know, it's kind of a classic entrepreneurial thing. You see where the demand is, right? So I saw that there was a lot of demand on the company side, on the HR side around uh, engaging talent and attracting young talent. And that I had um, stories and a lot of um, a good way of approaching it that was fresh in a way that some of these companies hadn't heard before. And that turned into my, that, that's been my business now for the past several years of, of speaking about millennials in the workplace, generations at work, and now a lot more about kind of fostering connection and belonging at work. And of course, with the pandemic, remote work and um, people not being able to be close to their colleagues and, and that type of thing. So you just, you know, if it, it, it doesn't all fit in a straight line and that's okay, it would be my overall kind of message and metaphor there. I, I call it kind of the, the career lily pad mindset, um, much different and, uh, you know, much more different than the, the career ladder, you know, that you're taught in school or that you society kind of teaches us, I think, or has been kind of the norm in the, in a capitalist, um, or American society of starting at the bottom and moving to the top. I don't actually think that's quite accurate, um, in, in the current landscape and that it's much more nimble, agile, flexible. The world's changing very quickly and that you kind of have to hop around. I don't mean quit your job every two weeks. That's gonna be a recipe for being broke and unhappy. <laughs> uh, but you, you have to try new things every two weeks. You have to experiment and grow and reinvent yourself constantly and um, always be kind of thinking about what's next and how you can evolve with the times, but also take what you've learned and include that. And you, you have to be growing, you know, you can't just kind of stay in one lane. I don't think that that works. That's amazing. I love that story, you know, starting out wanting to write a book, wanting it to be with 
a publisher like Penguin Random House to HarperCollins, and then, you know, not working out, self-publishing, and then ending up with Penguin Random House, which is super cool. For those listeners that are interested in being writers, like, how did you sell so many books? You know, most, first of all, the $12,000 raised through Indiegogo is a lot higher than a lot of like first time authors advances. So that's super cool. But also like selling thousands of books is also way higher than the average author sells. So for those who are interested in being writers, how did you sell so many books? Yeah, um, I would say that it's hard to sell books. And I would say, I think to start with the crowdfunding campaign, you have to have something that's connecting with people and where they're at. So, you know, I was writing this book about the quarter life crisis. I was calling it the quarter life breakthrough, kind of turning it into a positive, a moment of opportunity, a breakthrough, something good that happens in your life, not just this negative thing or crisis. Um, it was 2014. Um, this was kind of millennials was a, a very big topic. The quarter life crisis was kind of in vogue. Um, it was top of mind. So timing was a big thing. I, I'll say that. Um, I think if I were to release, have released that book right now, it wouldn't, it wouldn't sell as well. Right. And if, if I had released it five to 10 years earlier, the quarter life thing may have not clicked as well either. There was just, there was this time with the millennials, which again was basically luck. Cause I didn't know <laughs> it was just, this is what I'm writing about. I'm excited about it and it happened to be the right time. You know, every they, there's that line that's kind of every idea has its time, you know, or an idea, a, an idea whose time has come, so to speak. That's what they say. So that was the right timing. Um, you know, I think you um, have to do a lot to put it out there. I had done a TEDx talk that got a lot of views that was driving traffic for book sales. My TEDx talk was about the same topic, was called Refusing to Settle the Quarter Life Crisis. So it kind of connected and was, you know, really driving, both were driving traffic to each other. I had written a couple articles um, that got a lot of traction and went viral. One was in Fast Company, um, one was in Quartz. Um, and, you know, the topic was something that people were really into and exploring and, you know, and, and a lot of hustle. I mean, I shared that book, you know, people think of a book launch for those of you that are marketing books as, you know, one week or two weeks or a month. And it's actually years. You know, I, the, the, I had the advantage. So I, I, I launched that book twice, <laughs> right? So I did a whole thing. I, well, actually three times. So I did a quarter, uh, uh, the crowdfunding campaign the summer of 2013 to raise money to write the book so that I could hire an editor and hire a cover designer, right? Um, and a book, an interior book designer. The book, self-published book came out in 2014. So I had a, a crowdfunding launch. Then I had the actual launch. And then two, two years later in 2016, I had the Penguin Random House version of the book. So that meant for, that's four years of people hearing about Smiley talk about the quarter life breakthrough. Now, on the one hand, they're probably friends of mine. They were like, oh my God, stop talking about this damn thing. <laughs> but on the other hand, it's traction. It's those posts. It's that constant kind of, you know, engaging your community, engaging your fans, engaging your followers. Um, you know, there's that great blog post by Kevin Ke Kelly, founder of Wired, 1000 True Fans. And I, I was able to build that up, right? From those people that supported the crowdfunding campaign to the people that supported the self-published book to the people that then came to the next book. And 
you know, what it was growing, the community was growing the whole time. So, you know, basically the answer to your question is four years of hard work. <laughs> I, I, I don't mean to sugarcoat it. I mean, I would love to say like, oh, I just did this podcast. Actually, podcasts weren't really a thing back then. Or I just got this press clip or some influencer posted it and it sold millions of copies. That's not how it works, was for me. It was four years of working about on it writing about it, speaking on it, talking to my friends about it, talking to strangers about it. You know, I would, I would bring a stack of books with me in a bag everywhere I went. You know, I'd have like a talk in London or I'd be visiting family, you know, in Boston. And I'd be like, does anyone want to buy, you know, does anyone ever had a quarter life crisis? You know, is anyone going through their quarter life crisis? I'd, I'd bust that on the subway being like, you know, and <laughs> It adds up. It really does. Um, yeah. If you want to market a book, you just got to, you, you got to work on it along. You got to, first of all, you got to write a really good book. Right. And, and, and spend the time on writing a great book, which is hard, probably the hardest part of it, but then you just got to be relentless and keep going and keep spreading it and keep talking about it uh, till the, to the point that, you know, I mean, I still will promote quarter life breakthrough. I mean, I've, I'm on to other projects, but I still talk about it sometimes. I still reference it. I still post about it occasionally. Amazing. And last question is, tell us about your new book. Yeah, so funny enough, it's uh, back to the story you were telling. Um, so it's called Friendship in the Age of Loneliness, an Optimist Guide to Connection. It comes out May 4th. Um, so you will be hearing me talking about it a lot the next month, but then also hopefully in the months and years to come. But the origin story of the book is Camp Grounded. So I started writing this book long before the pandemic <laughs> uh, in 2017 um, after the death of one of my best friends, Levi Felix, who died at the age of 32 from a brain tumor from brain cancer. And he was the founder of Camp Grounded, um, this amazing digital detox tech-free summer camp for adults that started in 2013. And uh, we had about 15 camps over the span of those five years, 3000 people, I think ended up coming to camp um, or one of the experiences and it changed my life. It changed my life. I was a counselor um, at pretty much every single camp besides one or two. And I um, saw what happened in that space. And I saw what I felt and how I grew and how I transformed in that kind of space where, you know, you can't, weren't talking about work. They're talking about age, everyone using nicknames, people kind of channeling their inner child and getting to be, you know, spunky, smiley, cookie surprise, Brookie, Brookie St. James, popcorn, um, not kind of having this attached to their, their job title, their LinkedIn bio, the place that they work, how much money they make, how old they are, um, the creativity that comes with that, the authenticity, the transformation, the vulnerability. Um, and I wanted to write a little bit about what I learned from Levi, what I learned from camp and kind of help bring that into um, our daily lives. And so that was the origin story of the book. That's when I started writing. And then I continued writing in the, in the years since then, um, going through kind of a pretty rough period of loneliness and sadness. Um, and I'm someone that's obviously very social. I travel a lot. Uh, I'm not, not right now during the pandemic, but I, I used to travel a lot for a living. Um, and I'm a very social person and I love people and I meet a lot of people, but I was still experiencing a lot of disconnection and loneliness and not being sure who my true friends were. 
and realizing that, wait, if I'm experiencing this as a very social kind of happy-go-lucky positive person, some maybe other people are too. And then be realizing that, oh yes, not only are all my friends experiencing this, but it's an epidemic and 60% of Americans are lonely, 80% of young people. Uh, the average American hasn't made a new friend in the last five years. Um, this, is a, this was an epidemic and it was at epidemic levels before a year of social isolation. You know, all of the data is from 2019 before COVID-19, before basically most people in this country and in many parts of the world couldn't leave their house for the better part of a year, or at least couldn't get together in large groups of, of people. Um, and so I wrote a little bit about that as well. So it's combining all of these things, but the, the big message is um, spending more time with your friends, building healthy relationships is the best cure for the loneliness epidemic that we have. It's also the best determinant of living a long, healthy, happy life. There's research that shows, you know, the quality of your social relationships at the age of 50 is going to be how healthy you are at the age of 80. Um, friendship and, and having a, an active social life contributes to your heart health, your, your brain, your body, your cardiovascular system, the likelihood of you of having cognitive decline. It, it's everything. Um, but yet we don't talk about it that much. And we focus on all of these other things like success and making money and, you know, becoming famous and career growth, but we don't talk enough about social relationships. And I think that if we were to talk more about friendship and social relationships and investing time in those, all of those other things would come too, <laughs> right? Success, uh, wealth, power, status, being a, living a healthy, happy life, and more importantly, taking care of the people in our community and making sure that other people are living a healthy, happy life as well. So um, that's the book. It's, it's a very practical, I, I can call it a cookbook for friendship in the age of loneliness. Like you can pick a recipe and, and try it or try the activity or, you know, get inspired. And if you don't like something, skip it and move on to the next page. That's the, that's how it's meant to be used. I can't wait to read it. Where should people pre-order it from? Yeah. So you can pre-order it wherever you buy books, Amazon, bookshop.org, your local indie bookstore. Um, check it out on my website, smileypozwalski.com. And, um, you know, follow me on, on all of the social channels, Instagram, LinkedIn. Amazing. Well, Smiley, thank you so much for joining the Career Design Podcast. It's been amazing to hear your story. And I'll just share a small anecdote. I remember during that writing workshop at Camp Grounded, um, you had written me a little note and put it in my mailbox through like the intercamp mailbox system right. to keep writing smiley. And that was like super inspirational for me. I actually still have it on my fridge and it encouraged me to uh, write my book. So thanks again for the inspiration and everything that you're doing for the world. Thank you, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. And thanks for um, the work that you do and everyone should buy your book too. Oh, thanks so much. Okay. <laughs> have a good one, everyone. All right. Bye.